0: You're listening to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast with your host, Vanessa Weisbrod. Welcome to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast. I'm Vanessa Weisbrod coming to you from the Celiac Disease Program at Children's National Health System. And I want to start out by saying a huge thank you to all of our dedicated listeners. Today's podcast is about the connection between our bellies and our brains. While it seems like the two are totally different parts of our body, they actually work very closely together. And the food that we eat can dramatically affect how our brains function. To help us better understand this fascinating topic, we have Dr. Alana Khan in the studio. Dr. Kahn is the Clinical Director of Neuroimmunology at Children's National Medical Center and is currently leading a research team investigating the link between celiac disease and neurological conditions. My co-host Ellen Wilcox sat down with Dr. Kahn. Take it away, Ellen.
1: Dr. Khan, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: When you talk about the gut-brain connection, what does that mean
2: exactly? It's a great question because it's a very broad topic and I think it's still um, to be determined what that means exactly. Um, Kind of broadly what we're talking about though is the fact that the central nervous system, um, through a series of uh, connections from the spine out to the gut itself, does communicate with the with the stomach, with the gallbladder, with all parts of what's you know considered the gastrointestinal uh, tract. The best example of that that I think people kind of can understand or appreciate is if you get nervous, right you'll have an upset stomach, you'll have that churning or that feeling in your gut. Um, And so that speaks, I think, volumes to the fact that what's going on in your brain, what's going on in your emotional state is being communicated to all parts of your body, including the gut. Um, But what is kind of more... um, I think clinically relevant is that we're starting to understand more how the gut can communicate back to the brain, and what chemicals may actually be created or um, by the gut microbiota, which is all those extra bacteria. That are supposed to be in your gut. That I think people talk a lot about now. The reason why people are on probiotics um, is because with all the antibiotics and things that we're we're doing, we're kind of getting rid of all of that good, healthy bacteria. So what we're understanding now is that probably there's a huge contribution of that bacteria um, in making that commun or having that communication back to the brain. Mm-hmm.
1: So with that in mind, Mm -hmm. how does having celiac disease, or how might having celiac disease affect our neurological
2: system? Again, another huge question that we're working really hard to understand um, right now. Um, so you know it is a autoimmune inflammatory condition and the I think the concern or the question is that the inflammation that's going on in the gut is not isolated um, but that there are potentially other markers or other signals that are being um, you know, getting getting either into the brain or having an association with the brain um, that could be causing what we call neurologic symptoms. Neurologic symptoms can vary from headaches to difficulty with your, your nerves, so the numbness, tingling that people can feel in their hands and feet. Um, it can affect balance and coordination, and um, You know, uh, speech and language is all mediated through, you know, the neurologic system. And then we also have really focused a lot on your thinking, which is this idea of brain fog, um, right? So is it um, memory problems? Is it focus? Is it attention? What What are those specific details? And that's what we've been spending a lot of time recently working out. So if somebody with celiac disease has
1: some of these neurological sy- sy- symptoms that mm-hmm. you just mentioned, would
2: does following a gluten-free diet help with them? We think that it does. There is a, uh, some really good research out there already that has shown improvement in a lot of these symptoms, but that is also something that we are actively studying. Um, I, When somebody presents... First, with celiac disease, we're finding more and more neurologic symptoms that predated the diagnosis of celiac disease, but we are still finding people that have had celiac disease for several years have been adherent to the gluten-free diet and are still having you know, problems with headaches and other um, neurologic uh, issues. So we think that there's definitely improvement and that it gets better with gluten-free diet, but it's probably not the whole answer. Uh,
1: should people with unexplained neurological symptoms, if they don't have celiac disease or don't think they have celiac disease, should they be screened for it?
2: We are leaning more towards making that recommendation. And one of the big questions that I've had as a neurologist who also has a headache clinic is, you know, when somebody comes into a headache clinic, who of those patients should be screened for celiac disease? Right now it doesn't quite make sense to screen everybody, but is there a series of questions about um, gastrointestinal you know, problems, constipation, diarrhea, bloating, fatigue? Are there other questions that we should be asking? And likely, I would say that that's the population we should start with, which is you have unexplained neurologic symptoms and maybe some vague, nonspecific GI symptoms as well, nothing that the the doctors have quite said, oh, this is definitely celiac disease, but together with the neurologic symptoms, um, it would be more of a red flag that this could be a useful test.
1: So to turn that around, for, uh, should people with celiac disease be screened for neurological complications?
2: So I, as a, as a neurologist, I think they should. <laughs> I'm a little biased from that standpoint. Um, but because there is some a lot that we can do from an intervention standpoint, Point, I think that there, it, it is useful. And my main focus and thought on that is mostly for the kids that we see who may be struggling in school. So again, I said we t- I talked about neurologic, but also neuropsychological or cognitive. And I have had some very good results with you know children who maybe are not doing poorly in school, but maybe having more difficulty with focus, with attention. And so I think that screening all kids who come in to see if there are any maybe subtle underlining deficits that we can help with early on, Um, there is a huge benefit to that over the course of that that lifetime and that um, school career.
1: So I understand that your team at Children's National is actually looking very specifically at the connection between celiac disease and neurological issues
2: in children. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about that work and what you're hoping to accomplish? Right. So I think I've, I've kind of alluded to a little bit of that, but um, we are essentially screening all children who come in to our celiac clinic for neurologic symptoms. And the mostly the reason we're doing this is to identify what the most common problems are. Um, is it really different from the general population? You know, we we think it will be, but that is still to be determined. Um, and, uh, and then assess what interventions are helping. Gluten-free diet be, obviously being the main one. Does going on the gluten-free diet um, really get rid of a lot of like i said like the headaches or the that brain fog or how much is is left afterwards and what can we do for that so the anyone who comes into our clinic with the diagnosis of celiac disease is screened by both a, ne- a neurologist myself a neuropsychologist and also a psychologist for the mental health comorbidities that i think are also you know very under recognized and not we don't pay enough attention to the anxiety the frustration the irritability that comes with being A young child or a teenager who has to constantly be thinking about what they're eating and and how they're different from everybody else and and teenagers don't like being different (laughs) 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 so so um, we're really at children's focusing on all of those complications on understanding them on characterizing them and on treating them
1: well you describe a very comprehensive view of celiac disease at uh, Children's National, and I'm curious, is it pretty unique to
2: have a dedicated neurologist associated with a program like this? So my understanding is that it is extremely unique. Um, It is something that, again, when I was first approached, I had to think about it a little bit more and say, oh, celiac disease, it's not something I ever thought of as a neurologist. Um, But the idea of more kind of holistic patient-centered care is becoming more and more prevalent in medicine altogether, and what we're doing for the Celiac Clinic, I think is just an example of of that, which is the direction that I know Children's Hospital wants to go in. Um, I do hope that what we'll be able to show is how important having a neurologist, having a neuropsychologist, having a psychologist um, in this community can be, and that that will pave the way for other centers and and other hospitals to understand the utility and and, um, invest in it themselves. Well, that is really just great to hear about, and Mm -hmm. I know it's
1: one of the very special things about Children's National is how they approach this. Uh, You talked a bit about your research, and it just sounds so interesting, and I'm sure parents will be interested when they might of when this research might be completed. I know it takes a period of time.
2: Yeah, so we are currently on, I would say, a two- to three-year time period where I feel like we'll have some more compelling information. We're already, after the first year, getting some great data points back. Um, One of the reasons why, though, this obviously takes time is one of our big initiatives is to follow newly diagnosed patients over the course of that first year of treatment. Um, So we started enrolling uh, patients actively probably back in November so you know our first cycle of new patients won't be complete until this coming November and then obviously you've had new patients enroll since then so in order to get a good number of people over that length of time it does take several years but it's worth it and this is why everyone says you know the research is a is a commitment but I think we're going to see some really good information coming out of it in the near future. Well, I I certainly will be
1: looking <laughs> for that. I, I can't wait to see it. I'm, I'm happy to hear that you you feel like you're finding some interesting things already, which Absolutely. is really great. Well, before we leave today, you know, I'd like to just ask you what you'd like to tell parents, um, first and foremost, to just to keep in mind if their child
2: has just been diagnosed with celiac disease. So... Um, We've been talking a lot about neurologic symptoms. I think neurologic symptoms, when you say the brain can be very scary to people, um, so the message is not to be afraid, is not to think that there are going to be severe uh, problems or complications associated with celiac disease, but it is to be aware so that we don't miss things that we can address and so that we can help. Um, And I think the, the message also is that you can get help for these things now, that we are paying attention to how the brain is linked to celiac disease and so if your child is suffering from neurologic symptoms we will address them and we know how to do that Um, that we are focusing on school as being an issue um, and that there should be an awareness that This is a lifelong change in lifestyle, and that's hard enough for an adult to do, let alone a child, and so we do have to support kids um, from a psychological standpoint in making that adjustment and making that change and in understanding what that means for them, um, and that that's not a bad thing to do, that that's a really good thing to do, and we want to support and help people in doing that.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Khan. I'm so glad you could join us today. And I look forward to looking for your research when it's published at some point. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for all of this great information Dr. Khan and to Ellen for sitting down for the interview. This topic is just so fascinating and really helps us to better understand celiac disease. Now, before we sign off for today, I've got our grocery store tip of the week brought to you thanks to the generous support of Giant Martins Foods. It's barbecue season and there's nothing better than warm summer nights in the backyard eating hot dogs and hamburgers. And grocery stores are now making dining al fresco easier by offering prepared salads at their deli counters. But before you grab that coleslaw or potato salad to complete your meal, stop and check the ingredients label. Many of these prepared salads have added breadcrumbs for texture and some may use malt vinegar, which is unsafe for the gluten-free diet. Well, we're out of time for today. I hope you all enjoyed the podcast and we'll talk to you again next time.